This is your host, Evan Preparis. Before we get into today's show, I wanted to share a special opportunity for you to get a free pair of Mudgear socks. So I'll have a quick word from our sponsors, Mudgear, and then I'll tell you how you can win your own pair of Mudgear socks. Hey guys, it's Spartan Pro Team member Ryan Kent. You may know me on social as Drop the Hammer or any of the many man bun nicknames that have been thrown my way, but one of the coolest names I get to hear is when my nieces call me Uncle Ryan. Those cuties, along with my sisters, my mom, and of course my girl Sarah, mean the world to me. That's why Breast Cancer Awareness Month is more than a mantra. Early detection saves lives. So to help spread the word, I'm rocking Mudgear's Pink Compressions for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Of course they're styling all year long, but if you buy yours in October from mudgear.com, 100% of the profit goes to the National Breast Cancer Foundation. So think pink in October and get yours at mudgear.com. Awesome. Us here at Strength and Speed and members of the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team are a huge fan of Mudgear. As I'm releasing this, OCR World Championships is going down. So make sure you head over to the Mudgear Instagram page because I know Brenna Calvert is doing a takeover on one of the days and Ashley Samples did a takeover I believe it was yesterday as I'm recording this. So if you want to win a free pair of Mudgear socks, what you want to do is head over to the Strength and Speed Facebook page, share this podcast episode, and then tag Mudgear. So once again, head over to the Strength and Speed Facebook page, share the episode that you're currently listening to on Facebook, and tag Mudgear. You want to make sure your your, uh, share is public, otherwise I'm not going to be able to see it. And then at the end of the month... We will do a live drawing, and I will pick a name at random, and we will announce the winner. You'll get a free pair of socks of your choice from Mudgear. So, uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. I have a different co-host with me today. I have Leah Hensley from the Strength and Speed team. Leah, welcome back to the show. Good to be back. Yeah, so Brenna started a new job, and her work schedule does not line up well with my work schedule. So I'm not sure how often we're going to get her on the podcast anymore, but we will have other guests as co-hosts like Leah or Ashley or whoever else I feel like grabbing. Maybe Miles again? Who knows? Sounds good to me. Yeah. All right. So this episode is brought to you by Atomic Climbing Holds. If you've never used Atomic Climbing Holds, I would pick up some. They are great training tools, definitely specific for OCR. They have a variety of things. Like, I mean, they have a banana. They have an ice cream cone. They have a bowling pin. They have you know, big bombs, little bombs, pipe bombs, all sorts of different like rig grips you can work on your grip strength with. I hang them from my ceiling in my garage, so I have like my own rig in my garage that I use them for. I also keep a couple in my gym bag, and then when I go to the gym and use like the lat pull-down machine, instead of using a bar, I put on a nunchuck grip or a ball grip and really work on that grip strength in addition to working on back strength. So again, I'm making the movement as specific to OCR as possible, and I'm also making it progressive because I can basically just add weight as I get better. I also have a set of their atomic climbing holds pig receivers so I actually attach them you can attach them to the wall or you what I did was I actually attach them to an existing pegboard so they're peg receivers so you can practice pegboard or you can actually use them as grips 
and kind of traverse sideways. Well, I don't think I've seen those yet. I don't think I've seen those new ones yet. Oh, really? I, I've used a lot of the, the hanging grips, um, various races and ninja gems, and I'm a big fan of, you know, all the different shapes and sizes. I think it's a good way to prepare yourself for races because you never really know what you're going to get at the races. But I've not seen the the peg stuff, which would be really good for me to use. All right, I'll have to post another video. They're up in my garage. I don't think I've posted about them since the beginning of the year, though. Oh, okay. Anyway, speaking of ninja training and working on OCR-specific skills, we have Phil Hucky on the podcast. Did I pronounce that last name right, Phil? You got it right. Good. I always forget to ask before we start. Now, right, we're going to read, read Phil's bio real quick, and then we'll kind of jump into the questions. So he's a competitive obstacle course racer and ninja warrior athlete. He's competed in dozens of OCRs and competed on Season 9 and 10 of American Ninja Warrior. However, I would say his most well-recognized feature is his well-decorated beard, which you may have seen colored in American Ninja Warrior style with the red, white, and blue, or you may have seen it colored in the OCR Championships, World Championship symbol, I believe it was 2016 or 17. That was my uh, personal favorite. <laughs> yeah, that was 16. Awesome. Um, and so for his major achievements for 2018 was very ninja focused. So he was on uh, Ninja Warrior Season 10, completed the city qualifier course, came in 15th on the city finals course, advanced to the national finals, and made it three obstacles onto stage one before falling. And then 2017's uh, competition resume again appeared in uh, Ninja Warrior. He came in first at the overall Arctic Fever OCR, second overall at Memorial Day Mayhem, which is Jason Goggins' race, which we've had him on the podcast before, second overall at Viking Dash, fifth place overall at Mud Ninja, sixth place overall at CTG XDC in Kansas City, tenth place overall Indian Mud Run, and 25 miles at his eight-hour toughest event. So got a nice mix of uh, local OCRs, a lot of them ninja heavy, and even does a little bit of endurance stuff. Kind of some race highlights from earlier. From 2016 and earlier, finished 100 overall at OCRWC in Canada in 2016. Sixth at uh, overall Mud Guts and Glory back when it was still around. Seventh overall at Battlefrog when it was still around in King's Domain. The old, uh, that was a great course. And then, yeah, 134th overall at OCRWC King's Domain 2015. So, Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Cool, I'm excited. So for those who are joining, listening us to the show, we're going to be talking a lot about ninja training, a little bit about OCR, and then ultimately about Phil's amazing beard, which I think everyone wants to touch. So, Yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> All right, so, so let's, start off, let's start off at the top. So what came first, OCR or ninja? I, uh, officially OCR. Now, I've watched Ninja Warrior for... Uh, yeah, pretty much since it's been on TV, you know, flipping through and you, back when it was in the Suzuki days, uh, people were competing in Japan, you know, watching that on TV. I was like, man, I got to do that one of these days, but that was years ago. Uh, some friends of mine that were, uh, I, I got one friend who's a triathlon guy. They invited me to a warrior dash in 2012 and I was like, yeah, that sounds kind of fun. Why not? So I did that. It was my first ever OCR. I showed up in sandals, ran the course in that, and walked away with, you know, oozing blisters pretty uh, <laughs> pretty much right out of the gate. But, uh, yeah, I, I did that course and thought, hmm, this is it, huh? There's got to be something bigger and better out there. And, of course, I started digging, did a couple other small ones with some friends, found, uh, found the Mud Guts and Glory course, which definitely woke me up to it. 
did my first Tough Mudder in uh, was that 2013 or 2014. That was uh, late October. It started out about 48 degrees. It was snowing by the time it finished with a 30-mile-an-hour wind. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> goodness. Was, it, was, uh, it was miserable, but it was a blast. So OCR definitely, uh, as far as competing goes, that, that definitely came first. I, I started with the, uh, you know, I started just doing fun runs with friends, basically, um, and I was, I, I never had any trouble on the obstacles. I was kind of natural on those, and I thought, that was well, my hey, question. Did you did you develop the skills because you needed them, or were you already just a natural at it and just kind of expanded upon it? Uh, kind of expanded upon it. Um, like I said the uh, the obstacles came super easy to me, and I started noticing, hey, there's this thing called a competitive wave. Maybe I could try that. <laughs> and of course, I signed up for my first competitive one and got my butt thoroughly handed to me because it's not about getting through an obstacle quick. You've got to get from one obstacle to the other quick. And I thought, eh, I guess I need to figure out how to run. <laughs> you can't walk from one to the other. Right. So, yeah. So my uh, my, my running game definitely had uh, – well, it, it didn't exist. So I, I had a bit of catch-up to do on that. Had you had any running previously as far as, like, high school goes or college or anything like that or, you know, generally nope. playing sports? Nothing. <laughs> Oddly enough, you know, as as natural as I fell into the OCR world and the ninja world and I really love athleticism now in high school – you, you couldn't get me out there to play sports. And to this day, if you hand me a ball and expect me to throw a ball or catch a ball or play a team sport, I'm pretty lousy at it. But I've developed my running game a lot better, and I'm still good on the obstacles, so it's it's great that OCR is out there, and it's definitely you know, it, it's made me a, a more fit person than I ever would have been. Um, it's made me, I think, a better person than I ever would have been just from all the people that I've met doing it in the past. You know all the extra challenges in life that comes comes along with it. I feel you on the uh, the ball sports comment. I feel <laughs> my skill. I'm right there with you. My skill is in I like to call repetitive motion sports. So running, yeah. you know, like the obstacles are variable, but at the same time they're all basically very similar. You know, they're all kind of variants of, of each other. So right. if it ha involves doing a repetitive motion over and over again, I'm good at it. If it involves hand eye coordination, not so much. And in fact, there was it like 2016's World's Toughest Mudder. The only obstacle I failed was the one you had to like throw a ball up onto the little catch, and it was like a, like a grappling hook. That was hook. the worst obstacle. Uh, I think I failed that one every time. I'm so terrible at it. I'm so <laughs> terrible. It's like I think it's called. Yeah, it's it's embarrassing how bad I am. And then like one time I was like, I'm gonna get it this time. I threw it and like pulled. I like pulled like my. My like, part of my back, I was like, ah! So like, not only did I knock at the obstacle, like I hurt myself. Um, I, yeah. I ran it off. That was fine. Anyway, well, well in good company then. Uh. So what did what did you do to help improve your running game? So I I, I did the uh, I did the mud guts and glory it was my first ever one I wanted to run competitively, and I saw that they had this thing called the World OCR World Championship, and I thought. Well, maybe I'd like to qualify for that. It's here. I don't know why the heck there's a world championship here in my hometown. That seems kind of <laughs> weird. But, you know, I'm, I only live, uh, you know, 20, 30 minutes away from the King's Domain course. So oh, for wow, me, it was okay. like, 
well, there's another race coming here. I'll just see if I can qualify for that. I had to be 15th in my age group, and I came in, I think, 14th in my age group, so I qualified. And that nice. running that first one competitively and finding out what it actually takes to run on those hills, that kicked my butt so bad that I was like, all right, time to buckle down. And I just went out and I started running, and I had no idea how to run, you know, that's <laughs> as a beginner, you know, somebody I was, uh, you know, 30 years old, I'd never, you know, had any coaching or anything like that. You think running well, you just go out and move your legs fast. <laughs> so I did what I could. I built myself up as much as I could between that spring when the race was and the, the Mud Guts and Glory race was and that fall when the actual competition one was. And I definitely made some huge gains because I came in like 20. 5th or 26th in my age group for the world championship and I I, I finished strong on that and then I just kind of picked up more trail running and you know I started getting into the the old runner's injuries I was getting fasciitis, sore knees, sore hips IT band issues and in becoming running Phil you still there? Leah are you making like a Protein shake over here. What is going on in the background? Um, I will get out of the kitchen. <laughs> the, all I can hear is you like moving shit around. <laughs> yeah, all right, Phil, I got you. We got you now. Sorry, my, my phone dropped. I'm not entirely sure where, okay. but anyway, uh, yeah, you know, I started running into the runners' issues, and then started doing the research and watching the videos and asking the people that I know that are big time runners, "Hey, what am I doing wrong?" and one thing that definitely helped was uh, getting some getting some YouTube videos of like Mo Farah doing some running, and then videoing me doing some running and saying, "Well, that's his gate. Here's my gate. Wow, that's different. I need to change." <laughs> and it helped. It definitely it's really helped. impressive that you that you took those steps to do that. I mean, I think a lot of people just go into the same the same mentality. I mean, I know I was. I didn't have a running background at all. And so I was like, well, I just need to go run and run a lot and run every day. And like you, I had the same problems. I was, you know, blowing out my knee and having ankle problems and, you know, had no idea what I was doing. And it, there's a lot more to it, you know. There's this absolute thing where, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, you know, I need a coach for swimming or I need a coach for, you know, other sports. But I don't need a coach for running because everyone knows how to do it, right? And yeah, you just move your legs fast, right? <laughs> right. And it's not quite that simple, yeah. I mean, there's forms important, but then there's also, you know, volume and training and, you know, different types of intervals and lactate threshold intervals and VO2 max and, you know, building your aerobic base, all this other stuff, which is why, you know, coaches exist, which is why books exist, etc., to help you along that process. So, yeah, absolutely some good tips there. So why were you why focus on OCR versus Ninja or vice versa? Because it looks like you were focused on OCR about two years ago, and then uh, you made the switch to Ninja this past year or two. Yeah, I was I was definitely very focused on OCR even up through uh, even I, I had this season uh, twenty eighteen pegged as I wanted it to be my kind of peak OCR effort. I spent uh, yeah, I, I had some good good results last year in my racing I knew I could push it a little bit more and I spent the entire winter 
deconstructing my stride, looking at my training volume, and really grinding out the miles, grinding out the repeats, completely changing my my stride and my form, which definitely helped <laughs> with the injury aspect of things. And I came out of the winter. I was I was raring to go. I was ready to go. I got the call to Ninja Warrior. I kind of backed off on my running a little bit to make sure I was getting my upper body done for that. I showed up to the uh, to the Ninja Warrior course, and the magic happened. And next thing I know, I'm on my way to Vegas, or at least I know I'm going to have a trip to Vegas coming up soon. So I kind of put the OCR stuff on the back burner for the rest of the season just to really focus and make sure I was giving, you know, I was in the best shape I possibly could be to do the ninja competition. It kind of, <laughs> I say it, it ate my OCR year. That's for How sure. How confident were you going into that first ninja run? Like that's got to be a daunting thing. Like, I mean, was it just a matter of, well, at least I'm going to give it a try and I'm going to be on TV. So you know, we'll see what happens. Or did you go in there like this is happening? I'm going to Vegas. Uh, so so last year, I, I I competed in Cleveland, and it was kind of the oh hey I finally made it I finally get a chance we're gonna see how well we do and yeah it was completely overwhelming experience to be on that course and yeah I was nervous as all get out and I didn't do very well, but you know I was certainly hooked. You know, <laughs> you, you get onto that stage, and it's like, yeah, I definitely want to come back to this and do better next year. So I, I kept my training up. Now, this year, I got to Indianapolis. I saw the course, and I had a good feeling about it. I, it, it didn't look too bad. I wasn't uh, I wasn't terribly scared of anything that they, they had built yet, at least for the city qualifier. And, uh, you know, I stepped on there. It's still it, – for me, it's a huge amount of stage fright. Um, to be up there, you, you step on there. There's thousands of people watching you. I had some very well-respected ninjas there watching me. I've got millions of dollars of camera and lights and equipment. I've got my family there, and everybody's waiting for the show. And you got to put on a good show and make sure you don't do something silly or accidentally cuss or something. <laughs> and in all of this, you got to be able to do, you know about the hardest obstacle course they can design and do it well. But, uh, yeah, I, I hit that course in Indy, the city qualifier course. I felt confident. I felt good. And it was uh, it was incredible. It was an incredible moment. Um, yeah, get, finally getting up the wall, taking three tries. Yeah, I've done a warped wall so many times, but then I get on there and I whiff it twice and make it on the third. But, yeah, hitting that buzzer, that was uh, – that, that was – that was a highlight of my life right there. <laughs> so, you know, if you can't answer any of these questions, just, you know, feel free to just pass on them because I know, I know they, they make you sign non-disclosure stuff. I think most of that expires once the show airs, but, um, you know, from my understanding, they film the city qualifiers one night and then they film the city finals the next night. So you essentially you have 24 hours of rest in between. Is that accurate? Or can you say, can you even say? Yeah. No, I, 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 that's fairly fairly well known. Um, yeah, yeah. The the first night they start filming at sundown, and it goes until the sun comes up, and then you've got a break until the next evening, and they start filming at sundown, and they film until the sun comes up. I was I felt rather fortunate. I had my family there with me, and I got all of three hours of sleep between night one and night two, 
So by night two, I was very tired. <laughs> that, that's what I was going to ask. What was your rest and recovery plan between nights, or did you have any? Or- I, I, I had very, I had very little. It was uh, depressingly little. So that by yeah, by the time the second night came around, I was kind of. Ooh, you know, you start getting the, the the heavy breathing thing going, and it just wait, weighs on you. Now, I had a, uh, I ran into a little bit of an issue in the second night. Um, one thing that that I can say that uh, you don't really see on TV is all of the uh, camera operators and the grip operators. They're all teamsters. They're all union. They get a union break at like one in the morning for half hour, forty five minutes for lunch. So they had me up there. My my runtime was going to be pretty close to that, and they were getting the last few people in before the break. And they had me up there. They're like, "All right, Phil, you ready? Okay, we're going to try to get you in before the break. So make sure you get good and warmed up and get good and ready." So yeah, I, I drank my coffee. I did some jumping jacks. I did some burpees. I got myself all psyched up. I was listening to my music. I got up to the stage. And they're like, all right, Phil, you ready? Yeah. You going to kill this thing? Yeah. All right, man, I know you're going to kill it. Come back in an hour. Uh-uh. Oh. Um, they iced me. <laughs> so I had to come back down from that high and then try to get myself amped back up because I was the first runner after the break for the uh, for the second night there. <laughs> so that was a bit of a challenge for sure. Oh, so after that, you go to Vegas, and is Vegas run in a similar format where they do stage one one night and then, like, stage two, three, four the next night? Yep, yep, that's exactly what they do. Um, so at a city qualifier, there's about 130-some-odd people that run the course. On the city finals night, there's about 30 to 35. And then once you get to Vegas, it's back up to about 100 people. So stage one takes pretty much all night. They run the whole 100 people through stage one, and then whoever's left, they'll go ahead and do stage two, three, possibly four, if it, uh, if it makes it that far. Yeah, I was going to say, that's even more impressive, because I don't think people realize that they're filmed, like, back-to-back. So you have stage yeah. two. So the guy, like, the guy, like uh, Isaac Caldiero and uh, Jeff Britton, you know, when they did stage four, they'd already done stage two and three that night, yeah. and then stage one the previous night. So it's not like, oh, I'm well-rested, I've had a good night's sleep, I'm ready to go. It's, like, back-to-back. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's back to back. You get that adrenaline rush to do the course, and then like you have that dip of your body like rebounding. That's got to make it hard to like get amped up again. <laughs> I, I will say when I uh, at the city qualifier course, I was so amped up on adrenaline and the thrill of the victory and everything that happened. About five minutes after the cameras got off of me, and I was ushered back into the back. The, they call it the winner's circle. I had this adrenaline crash that I literally sat down and I was pretty close to throwing up. My entire body just like I, I got the shakes. I got lightheaded. I just went, "Ooh, boy!" <laughs> so yeah, the, the crash is a very real thing. So how long of a break was there between the city qualifiers and Vegas? Uh, that was let's see. And the dates dates aren't clear in my mind. The city qualifiers they were in they were in late April, early May, uh, and then the uh, Vegas was in mid June. So I, I had about a month. Yeah, that's not much time. No, it's not. Yeah, people that uh, competed in uh, yeah, like Miami, that th- they they competed in 
gosh, like the first week of March. So they had, you know, <laughs> several months to get ready. And then people that competed up north, they only had a couple of weeks to get ready. So there's, yeah, there's a little bit, a uh, little bit of time play there for sure. But you know, I, I spent that month. I, <laughs> I almost completely quit running just because I needed. You know, I knew I was going to the big show, so I was like, all right. I got to buckle down. I've got to work on getting my laches. I got to get my distance. I got to get my grip. <laughs> I got to get my balance. It's, it was uh, it was crunch time, and I, I I just threw myself into it and got everything done I could. By the time Vegas rolled around, I was like, I'm good. I could be better, but this is as good as I'm gonna get because I am out of time. Yeah, I think the lesson there is you got to be you know if you think you're gonna go far, you got to be ready to go far from the city qualifiers right off the bat, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, a month is not that much time to prepare and adjust your training to whatever your weaknesses are. So, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really not, um, you know, I went into, I went into it initially, like my goal was to finish the city qualifier course. That was the challenge I set for myself and I hit that and yay. Yeah. Everybody was happy and I was ecstatic and then reality kind of started setting in. I've got to do this again tomorrow night. There's more to do. <laughs> and then I did the uh, I did the city finals course, and you know the miracle happened there that I made it into the national finals. And I was dumbfounded that I made it to national finals. I, I was not expecting that. Uh, I wasn't really prepared for it. But uh, you know, I, I had to rise to the occasion. You know, fortunately, I keep myself in good enough shape that. Yeah, I had to adjust my training, but it wasn't starting from scratch. It was just fine-tuning where I knew I needed to put the work in. What was that for you? What was your weakness in your mind that you needed to really focus on during that time? So doing like a doing the Ninja Warrior course, everybody always asks me, you know, hey, what's the hardest obstacle? Uh, for me, it's all of them, <laughs> and and I you know I say that it's uh, it's going from one to another to another, to another. These are timed events. You're racing a clock. You've got to get through this thing pretty quick, but it's a grind, especially, you know, the, the city finals course. you got to do the entire qualifier course plus an additional five obstacles, and they get harder as you go. So as you go through the course, your arms are getting more tired. Your grip is getting more tired. You're running out of air. Your cardio system's getting taxed. So for me, it was building that grip and upper body endurance you know that there's running endurance is one thing having upper body endurance is something a little bit different and something that not nearly as many people train for so you know i, I look up training re regimes for that kind of stuff and th there's not a lot out there because it's so darn specific to that sport you know it's like you know, just get out there and do chin-ups until your arms fall off put them back on and do some more it's uh <laughs> It's building that grip and arm strength and endurance that was definitely a key. So before we get into your training, because I, I do want to get into that a little bit deeper, what's something you think that, you know, you're watching the show on TV, what's something you think the viewers don't realize about the show, that they're the ones who've like never been to a taping or never been as an athlete on the show? <laughs> yeah, one thing that uh, surprises people, I think, when they first show up, is you watch the show, you hear the crowd in the background cheering, whistling, carrying on the whole time. A lot of that is added or piped in, you know, taped over. <laughs> it's uh, yes, there is cheering. You know, when you finish an obstacle, the crowd definitely goes crazy. 
but there's a lot of quiet time. It, it's the, on the set. It's a lot more quiet than people would anticipate. Um, it, it it's not quite you know a golf tee kind of quiet, but when you're up there, you know you're expecting to hear this roaring crowd, and it's more like you know it's kind of quiet. You know, if you do something, you hear a gasp, <laughs> and then you finish it, and everybody goes crazy. So yeah, the the the, the crowd noise, the, the the sounds while you're there, it's it's a little bit different. That's uh, that was one thing that kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Yeah, because you have to remember the people watching it. It's like it's three in the morning, so they're not going to be like, "Yeah, I'm all psyched to be here." It's like, when's my <laughs> when's my brother get to run? <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things is that uh, the, the family and friends and the the people in the stands they actually have shifts. Um, there's groups of athletes that come in. There's, there's a group that comes in at seven thirty, and then there's a group that comes in at like one in the morning. And then they change everybody out again at like four in the morning just to make sure all the friends they, – they have limited seating and all the friends and family for the athletes that are running, they all get ushered in and out kind of in series. That makes sense. It's funny you say that because one of my favorite things to do is watch the background of Ninja Warrior. Mm-hmm. And you cause sometimes they, they, they you hear the crowd roaring and you look at the background and people are just like blindly staring, you know, not clapping yeah. at all, like just slack jawed. <laughs> That's all yeah. I'm going to pay attention to next time I watch an episode now. <laughs> yeah. I, I pay attention yeah. to that, and when they, um, you know, they'll show the athlete, and then they cut to the crowd, and they'll cut back to the athlete, and like 30 seconds has elapsed that they don't talk mm-hmm. about, be- because the you just pay attention to the timer, and they'll, they'll show the timer change, but like 30 seconds hasn't elapsed on your TV. That's like my other thing right. I always kind of pay attention to. Yeah. I like yeah. looking yeah. at how many times yeah, people change their shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into a little bit of your training now. So you've done OCR training, you've done ninja training. Like, give me a week of ninja training in your life, and then give me, like, compare and contrast that to a week of your OCR training. Sure. So when I'm buckling down on my ninja stuff here, I'm getting two weekly sessions of very specific ninja training. Um, We've got, I'm fortunate enough, uh, one of my good friends has a ninja gym here locally. Um, I do. I go. I go there once a week, um, and I also have my backyard rig, which I'm sure we'll get into talking about. Um, when I'm doing my ninja-specific training, it's uh, it's doing work on the warped wall. It's doing work on specific moves that you tend to see on the show. Um, they're big on laches, which is you know you're holding onto a bar, you swing, you jump to the next bar. Um, a lot of you know the cannonball holds, the atomic holds. Um, and just setting different courses up to run, trying to match what you see on the show as much as possible, but definitely hitting the core moves, like uh, like the salmon ladder, doing work on that, doing work on balance. Uh, the wing nuts are very popular. That's the uh, that's the side liche jump. So I I do at least I, I usually get one or two of those in a week. Um, I definitely still keep up. One day in the gym, lifting weights, um, and I focus that on my legs. I'm doing squats, uh, deadlifts, do a lot of box jumps, um, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it's in, in ninja, and actually uh, <laughs> failing on that warped wall a couple of times kind of opened my eyes. Like I had spent so much time focusing on making sure my grip and my arms were strong. There's a couple of those obstacles. You've got to have that leg strength, and I had kind of neglected that, and that came back to bite me. So I made sure I'm making sure now that I'm getting at least once a week into the gym, 
to, to keep that leg strength up, to keep that core strength up. It's not just all about grip. You've got to have the leg strength to do some of this stuff. And I'm still getting at least one run a week in, usually, it, you know, wherever I can fit it, you know, four to ten miles, road, trail, whatever I whatever I can chewhorn into my busy schedule uh, to keep keep the cardio up. Um, going, to, going through the ninja course, some guys train cardio, some guys don't. I definitely like to. I think it keeps me having a good base. Um, you know, you can catch your breath a little bit faster after a particularly hard obstacle. So I definitely try to keep up on that. Cool. And then what does that look like compared to your OCR training for a week? So when I was doing my OCR training, um, I was definitely more running. I was doing a run session three times a week. Um, I would do a speed work at one point, you know, I do uh, I do repeats for for some speed work here, just in my neighborhood. I would try to get at least one trail run a week in, and I would also get at least one long run of at least ten miles in. Um, and I would do a lot of uh, a lot of intervals with my backyard workout setup that I have. I can uh, I can run through my neighborhood. I'm blessed to have exactly quarter mile distances between stop signs, so it's easy for me to measure my distances. So I would do say a half a mile run, come back into the backyard, and then I'd grab my rec bag and I would do you know 50 squats with the rec bag, do my burpees, go run another half mile, come back, do my tire flips, do uh, do some more burpees, that kind of thing. Um, and I would run that circuit probably once a week. So definitely a lot, definitely a lot more cardio and jumping back and forth between aerobic and anaerobic. Since on the OCR course, that's definitely what you run into. You know, you you're not jogging at a static state in most of the OCR courses. You're going to be hitting a hill, or you're going to be hitting an, hitting an obstacle, and getting you know the heart rate's going to go up and down and sideways and all over the place. And just training to yeah, making sure my training matches that was definitely a key. It sounds like a lot more high intensity kind of stuff. Cool. I, I like the specificity of it all. It sounds I'm obviously very specific depending on what season or what your year of the focus is. So definitely like that. I also like that you mentioned, you know, neglecting legs and it coming back to bite you. That's one of the things I love about Ninja and a mandatory completion OCR, which you just constantly have to create this balance to kind of figure out you know, I focus too much on running and not enough on obstacles, and you show up to a mandatory completion course, you might get, you know, that might bite you, or, you know, if the obstacles are start getting too easy, but you haven't been focusing on running, you know, then you'll obviously lose because you're you're not running fast enough, so it's like, it's a balance, and I like that. So. Definitely. Yeah, everybody thinks it's all, you know, hey, you're a ninja, you must have really great grip strength, and yeah, that's part of it, <laughs> but there's more to it than that. And, and so, yeah, just get, get out there and, make, and messing up on one or two things is a surefire way to figure out what you're what you're lacking in your training. So sure. since we started talking about it already, tell me about your backyard rig because I know it's pretty <laughs> unique and some of your holds are even more unique. Yeah, yeah. So that that thing is uh, always in a constant state of uh, additions, subtractions, and changes. Uh, I've been working on it off and on for yeah, probably two years now. Um, on one section, I've got a 32-foot-long monkey bar set. When I, the bars that I use are inch and three-quarter. They're pretty. They're pretty fat. 
Um, I got them space two feet, two inches apart, which is pretty good for my arm span. And they're all on a pin system, so I can slide them out and have gaps of four foot four, six foot six, and then almost nine feet once I get too many of them, you know, take several of them out. And that way I can configure, so I can do laches, I can do much longer jumps with that. I've got a bar hopper on that. I've got a pegboard down one side, uh, a salmon ladder, and then just this year I installed something of a climbing wall with the uh, the unique holds you mentioned. Um, kind of my one of my shticks on Ninja Warrior is that I'm an arborist, and in my submission video I was kind of giving the rock climbers a hard time, you, you know, like, oh yeah, you guys think the rock climbers are the best, well I'm an arborist, I'm a tree climber, tree climbers are good at this stuff too, so they kind of latched onto that, and now I'm like, well yeah, I do need to do some rock climbing to keep my hand strength up, so how do I kind of marry those two things together? So at work I was... We're cutting up trees, and I'm looking for oddly shaped pieces of wood, different uh, knots and knot holes and twisted pieces that are interesting to look at and certainly interesting to grip. And I cut those up. I got them polished and then screwed them onto the board, and those are my rock climbing holds. They are uh, chunks nice. of tree branch. It's, uh, it's very unique. Uh, I, I've had several rock climbers come over and try it out, and they're like, this is actually pretty legit. This really works. So I don't know if I'm going to start a line of them or anything, but uh, there you go. A lot of fun because you know if you know I'm at work cutting stuff up, I'm like, ooh, that looks like a good one. I just go ahead and take that chunk home and and work on it, and I can configure this thing however I want to, and it's it's, it's something different every time. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So when you're building this giant backyard contraption, are you just did you make up the plans yourself, or did you download them off the internet? How did you start building uh, this thing in your backyard? Uh, this, I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a fly by the seat of the pants, and I'm done. That <laughs> this thing is completely unplanned, and if you if you start looking at the construction, you can tell. Um, <laughs> some, of the, some, so, some of the posts are actually just logs that I brought home from work because I'm too cheap to buy a six by six because then things are expensive. <laughs> hey, if you have um, the resources. But, by all means. Yeah, it's it's a lot of just cobbled together stuff. Um, at work, they, they took apart a swing set in one of our parks, so I got all the pipes from the swing set sitting around, and I'm making stuff out of that. So, yeah, it, it's definitely a, a homespun operation. It takes a little bit of... Yeah, a little bit of engineering thought and work and kind of like, well, maybe if I get some duct tape on this part here, it'll go better. And <laughs> it, uh, it just kind of works. I mean, I've, I've had... I've had, uh, you know, like ninja groups and parties over here this summer. I hosted a ninja party. We had 30-some-odd people out here, and everybody was climbing and swinging on the thing, and it, it holds up great. Pretty impressive. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of skirting the local municipal laws. They, they don't like us building things in the backyard around here, but uh, they do allow kids' play sets. So in the middle of all of this thing, there's a, there's a kid's swing set. My kids are out there swinging. <laughs> See? It's there you just go. A play. There you go. I know uh, one of the people that used to own the Battle Frog rig used to get complaints from their, I guess, from their community or from their neighbors or something about having, like, a rig in their backyard. But, yeah. again, I don't see the difference between that and a swing set for kids, right? Yeah. Like, what, I'm not allowed to have fun? My kids are the only yep. ones allowed to have fun around here? So. <laughs> Do your kids play on this thing? 
They do. Uh, it's uh, yeah. I've got a yeah, I've got a nine-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl. Uh, oddly enough, the girl's more into it than the boy is, but they they definitely like uh, hanging and swinging and making fun of daddy when he falls off of stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, now let's talk about your beard a little bit. So your beard is massive. Um, that might be an understatement. So how how long is it from like your chin to the bottom of your beard? And do you cut it? Give me some beard facts, yeah. Sure. If, if I if I straighten the thing out, it's uh, we're probably ten to twelve inches at this point. Um, it's, how long have you been growing it? <laughs> so I've I've had a beard for about I don't know nine or ten years. Uh, probably about three years ago. I decided, you know what, we're going for broke, and I just quit cutting it. And so, yeah, so if I, you know, to get back to what I have now, it would take at least three years, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm just letting it go. I'm letting it get bigger. And uh, ironically, I first started growing a beard because I was sick of shaving, and I didn't want to deal with it anymore. But now that I've got this beard, this thing is high maintenance, and I'm always got to, <laughs> you know, i got to, Brush it and condition it and oil it and pamper it and <laughs> make sure it's it's up to snuff. So yeah, it, it started out as being lazy and now it turned into a, a whole side hobby for me. <laughs> Seems like men with those kinds of beards it just kind of takes on its own personality, its own life. It, it, it really does. It, it, it's rarely as you know, like I say, it's ten like you know, ten twelve inches. It's rarely that long just because. Yeah, if I don't take good care of it, it gets all curly and kinked up, and <laughs> it's like, well, I got I got to spend a little bit of work on it to get it to lay nice and flat, and you know, ready for show. <laughs> so, what does your wife think of this giant beard you have? She's okay with it. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I wake up from a nap and she's standing over me with scissors, so I'm not entirely sure what uh, what to make of that. <laughs> I uh. My daughter has never seen me without a beard. I've got a wedding picture hanging up on the wall of me when I didn't have a beard, and she gets this puzzled look when she looks at it and says, Daddy, Daddy, where's your beard? And I say, oh, I just wasn't wearing it that day. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you ever shave it, you need to do videotape her reaction when you walk out, because if you've seen those oh, videos on the Internet, they're hysterical. Yeah, those are awesome. The, the, the last time I ever shaved it um, was – my boy was pretty little, and I asked him if I could shave my beard, and he said, no, Daddy. But a couple of days later, I did anyway when he wasn't home. He came home, looked at me, started crying his head off, and he wouldn't talk to me for two days. So I was like, all right, oh come back. <laughs> so, so what yeah, do you that, think? I mean, I'm assuming you watched the, the you know, the, the whole bet between Ryan Stratus and I can't remember who the other one was about shaving the beard on the show. Mm-hmm. Would you ever do something like that? Have you ever taken a bet? Um, at this point, no. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody touches the beard. Uh, <laughs> no, the, the, those two guys, they're really good friends. I actually, I got to hang out with them while I was in Vegas. Um, yeah, in Vegas, we get the, they book us all in the same hotel room. So there's, you know, a hundred of the top ninjas in the country all hanging out together. It was, uh, that was quite an experience, but you know, I got to meet those guys and hang out with them for a little bit and, you know, get to be beard buddies with them a little bit. And I know that they were both kind of, kind of sweating that, uh, that they were going to be the ones to lose the beard. And of course, Brett ended up losing his. <laughs> so yeah, with, uh, yeah, 
with the beard painting that I do and the design work and everything, that's what people expect. That's what actually got me on the show. That's what stood out to the producers that they invited me on. It's what everybody likes to see. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to put this thing on the line yet. <laughs> so how did that start? How did you decide one day I'm going to paint this? And then how do you actually paint it? Like, I, I'm confused of how this actually works. Like, do you have brushes? Are you just dipping it in a giant vat of liquid? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, that's like, maybe that's a good idea now. <laughs> so the first time I ever painted up the beard, it was at a Battle Frog. It was, oh, I want to say 2015 or 2016. I was, uh, yeah, was going to go in there and try to, try to conquer Battle Frog, and I was like, well... Why don't I do something with a little bit of flair? I mean, I'm out there just running in my tights. You know, what, what's going to set me apart from the crowd? And I was like, well, Battle Frog is blue and green. I went and I got some blue and green uh, theatrical hairspray. And I did one half blue, one half green. And when I walked onto that course, that place freaking erupted. I had people coming up getting selfies, people taking pictures of me, people pointing, laughing, thumbs up. I mean, I was... Uh, I was like, yeah, I, I, I could get used to this, <laughs> you know, whether I can uh, have a great performance that, you know, shines and gets me some high fives, you know, maybe, maybe not. But this beard, I got like people are liking it. It's making everybody smile. Everybody's having a good time. So I started with that, um, just kind of kept with solid colors for a little while. And then I kind of started thinking, uh, well, how, how can I get a little fancier? So I started getting the cardboard out and the exacto knife out and I start making stencils and that's how I that's how I do it now I'll do base colors and then I'll put a stencil over it and it's uh it's just colored hairspray spray it on different layers layer the colors layer the patterns it uh it stays put pretty well even in the water you know if it's a real intricate design that'll start washing out a little bit to kind of solid colors but it doesn't really come out until I put soap in it, and it'll take two or three washings, and, and out it comes, and I'm back to just being regular Phil with a big beard. Pretty impressive. i got to say, some of, some of the designs I've seen you pull off, it's, it's they're, they're fun. Yeah. Yeah, the, o- the OCR World Championship one, like, it's the legit OCR World Championship mm-hmm. symbol, Letters like, on your all. beard. Yeah, it's, like, insane. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I really enjoyed that one. Uh that's the one I think that was has been the most popular for sure. Um, I put that in there. I walked out of the hotel, and I, my wife was laughing at me. I, th- I think I got 30 to 40 selfie requests between my hotel room and getting up to where the start line was. <laughs> she, she thought Your it was hilarious. Your wife just roll her eyes at you? Pretty much, yeah. But, it, yeah, she, she kind of digs it, I think. <laughs> All right, so one more beard question. What for for those men that are growing their um, these voluptuous beards out? What is the what is the the number one beard care product you recommend? Or it could be like a suite of products here. Well, for caring for your beard, don't use regular shampoo. Uh, facial hair is prone to drying out. Get get an all natural shampoo. Use a good quality beard oil or a uh, wax based beard beard balm. Uh, I actually, I'm a beekeeper as well to everything else that I got going on. So I've got access to a ton of beeswax. So I make my own beard balm with that, uh, keeping it, keeping it oiled and or waxed just to keep the moisture in the hair, to keep it from getting too brittle and too split and just keep it, uh, keep it brushed down good. And yeah, that's about it. It it does its own thing. 
I feel like you need to start a natural OCR slash ninja line with like your beard balm from your beeswax and then like maybe honey for fuel and your arbor holds for for climbing like i think we can create a whole business model here out of this yeah yeah i've kind of got my own little uh own little world that i've built here it works great for me if anybody else wants to come in great i'll show you how to do it (laughs) it's fun all right a couple more questions and then we're going to call it a day the i know you recently completed war x or participated in war x can you tell us a little bit about that Okay, so Warx has a couple of different things going for them. They they hold, you know, your usual OCR races that you're used to, you know, maybe four to ten miles with uh, obstacles to climb up over, down, and through on some really good terrain. Um, they also have survival weekends. These are more like live-action role-playing games. Um, they, they give you a scenario... Um, they stick you out in the woods, basically, with your team, and you get somewhat of a scavenger hunt. They give you uh, operations that you got to go do, and all the while they have bad guys out there that you've got to evade. You've got to avoid capture. You've got to get your objectives completed. You've got to take care of your teammates. Um, it's It's a very, very challenging thing to do. And these guys put on one heck of an event. It's uh, it's very top top notch. It's very professional, um, and it, it's very believable. Um, you know, if you're gonna go into this thing, you know, thinking there's gonna be you know a couple of guys, hey, stop there. No, these guys they, they will come flying out of the woods and tackle you, and they do in fact use stun guns. They use uh, airsoft. I actually did get captured this time. At one point, I was handcuffed, blindfolded, and stuck in a cage. Um, <laughs> and did you have any uh, idea that was a possibility going into it? Yes, you sign quite a uh, quite a waiver going into this thing, <laughs> and they do explain to you the dangers that you face. The property that they have have these events on. It's a little over a thousand acres. I mean, we're talking almost two square miles of some very incredibly rugged terrain, very steep hills, uh, rock outcroppings, swamps, rivers. Uh, it's it, it, it's an incredible place, and it's an incredible time. It's it's very challenging what they have you doing. You're with a group of people. Um, the first event that I did there, I, I didn't know a single person. By the end of it, I had eight new best friends, and we are still friends to this day and keep going back. It's uh, it's quite a thing. You really need to check it out. You, you will be doing obstacles in it. They, they do have obstacles that you got to use to get across the rivers and you know some of the bigger ravines and canyons and stuff. You will be covering miles, sometimes at a crawl if it's thick brush, sometimes at a dead run if you're trying to get from one area to another. This past weekend, I probably put in 10 to 15 miles, and I am certain many thousands of feet of elevation change over 24 hours. Uh, they, they give you a packing list. You go in with uh, what you are allowed to have, and they do not let you bring food in. You're not bringing your energy gels or anything like that. Part of uh, part of what you got to do is find your resources. They'll have uh, you know food dumps that you've got to locate and get, and that's the food that you eat. And so there'll be MREs, and sometimes there'll be the gel packs and the energy drinks in there too. So it's uh, how, how you 
handle things and how you do is up to you. Their big thing is sort of, you know adapt and overcome. Things change. It's uh, it, it, it's quite an event, and I can't speak more highly of it. But it's definitely definitely a challenge. Now, how long is the event? Uh, the one that I just did here this past weekend was 24 hours. So you, basically, we showed up at nine. Or, yeah, we showed up at nine o'clock in the morning. We had uh, a couple hours worth of training, uh, orientation. You know, you're finding your way with uh, maps and compasses and GPSs. There is no such thing as a marked trail. And if there was a marked trail, you don't want to be on it because that's where the bad guys are going to be waiting. <laughs> um, yeah, so we show up, we get a couple hours worth of training. They, they give us the scenario. In this case, it was the it was the apocalypse. Um, a domestic terrorist group had uh, set off a uh, oh, like a dirty bomb virus thing somewhere, and society was breaking down. And the bad guys had taken up residence here in this corner of Ohio, and we had to go in find the cure for the for the dirty bomb thing that they set off and also eliminate their their supply. So there was actually explosives involved. At one point I was running through the woods with about two pounds of tannerite and uh, we had to go locate where their cache was, set it up, shoot it, and make a very large explosion. And uh, we put a hole in the earth. It was uh, it was something. <laughs> there is live fire involved. This is like escape room meets like a military, you know, selection meets. I don't even know what. Yeah, it's uh, it, it it's all of those things. It, it's you ha- you have to keep your wits about you. You have to move tactically. They had twenty something guys out there hunting us down, and you had to avoid capture. <laughs> I I unfortunately did not avoid capture, but I did fortunately uh, fi- figure out a way to get out of the cage that they put me in. They, they patted me down, but missed the fact that I had a pocket knife, so I was able to cut my handcuffs when they weren't looking and get out of the cage and take off running and <laughs> make my escape. What do you think, Leah? Should we sign you and the rest of the Neptune team up? Lordy, I mean, I'm just listening to this, and I'm all about trying new things, but wow. <laughs> like, so right. to be clear, when you signed up for this, like you didn't sign up with the team. Like you just go in by yourself and yep. Take yeah, I mean, you, you, your friends or whatever, but they're gonna they'll assign you a team. I mean, you, you get the option of being on a team with your friends, obviously, but mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. do it yourself, or you, you you're gonna be on a team, and you're gonna get to know those people very well. <laughs> All right, so Especially, I gotta ask you then, from the swag whore perspective, what do you get from this thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, the winning team, unfortunately, my team came in second. The winning team got a uh, military rucksack stuffed to the gills with uh, survival equipment. I mean, there was hatchets, fire starters, you know, like a uh, fishing kit, uh, all, all kinds of goodies, you know, knives, all all that fun stuff. Water filters. You can uh, you can win some pretty cool swag at this thing. But I, I gotta tell you, even though we our team didn't win much. Just the experience and building the friendships and the stories you get coming out of it, it, it's completely worth it. I mean, where else can you, you know, get tasked with sneaking into an armed, guarded base camp and stealing a live chicken? Because that was one thing you had to do. 
<laughs> I did have to catch a live chicken at three o'clock in the morning and steal that and get it to somebody else to use as barter. So yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! I feel like we could do a whole episode on this. Like this is just mind blowing for me. <laughs> yeah, I was not expecting that much detail and that much. I, I knew it was a very unique event, but I had no idea quite yeah. that level of uniqueness. So how and, and often I are these? I mean, are, are you familiar? I mean, how often do they put these on? Is it only in the Ohio area? Leia's next question, is there a coupon code? Right, you know. <laughs> they, they do have coupon codes, and if one shows up, I will uh, post it to the group and uh, see what I can you know, promote, because I do want everybody to come out and enjoy this thing. Uh, the So far, the only events that they're having are on their property in Jackson, Ohio. Um, they have, like I said, they access to this very unique thousand-acre chunk of woods, and they've got a lot of infrastructure built on it, so it's not uh, it's not something they're moving around from uh, city to city or anything. These guys put their heart and soul into building this event and making it truly, truly unique. That's that, that's for sure. Yeah, and if you're going to do a lot of the stuff you're talking about, that's not something you can just take right. on the road and go other places. No. You know? so. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you're talking about setting off explosions. You get you know you get legality issues in there and stuff too. They got the uh, that they're in good with the local authorities for uh, being being allowed to do that. <laughs> I would imagine so. What do you think, Leash? Hey, I, I'm I'm intrigued by this. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and you know, if you're in OCR shape, you'll be absolutely fine. If you're not in OCR shape, you will be absolutely fine. We had a team. Uh, it was a team of completely new people this year, um, or just this past weekend. And they they all finished. Um, you, you do have the option in all of this that you can, you know, if it's too much, you can bow out, and they will get you out of there and get you a hot meal and a shower. Um, but, you know, all the new people, they all said this was awesome, this was great, and honestly, they weren't in the best of shape. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a handful of, you know, like 40-something-year-old dads that are just kind of out there having a fun weekend. So yeah, it was... Uh, blowing stuff up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's it is challenging. Uh, by the end of it, my right knee was killing me and swelling up, and I was completely worn out. And I, I'm talking, you get physically worn out. It's it's a lot of physical work, and it's sleep deprivation and hunger, and <laughs> it's gonna push you. Cool. Well, sounds like a very unique event. Sounds real cool. A little bit too much like work for me, so I'm going to take a pass. But I yeah. encourage Leah and others to do it. Yeah, I, I wonder about that kind of stuff. Like when I when I see some of these like suck fests, I'm like, this is what Evan does. I'm not sure that it's that you know appealing to him. <laughs> it kind of takes the stuff Evan does and let let let's uh, let's people that uh, always wanted to try it give it a go. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Like the people I work with, when I, I so I tell they don't know about these events, like Go Ruck Selection, or even a lot of them don't even know about the Go Ruck series. I tell them about Greenberry Challenge, uh, the Commando Course, and stuff like War X, and they are just baffled. They're like, "What do you mean? Like, you, what what happens? It's like, well, you pay and then you do this event and it sucks, and you come out and everyone's happy, and they're like." Why would you pay to do that? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, people like pushing their limits. I get it, you know. Um, yeah. As an endurance athlete, I get it. But it's it's pretty funny to see people in the military who don't necessarily race outside of you know outside of what their normal job requires them. Um, some of them have trouble understanding that. Yeah, you know, reaching out, reaching out, like pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone 
into a miserable state voluntarily. So. Yeah, and, and I will say, at a WorX event, you will find yourself in a miserable state. <laughs> it does happen. I mean, you know, but it, even me going through this thing, like, there's a few times where it's like, why am I doing this? But then you get to the finish line, and everybody's laughing, having a good time, sharing stories, and then suddenly you're like, all right, when can I do it again? I'm ready to go next weekend. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, in, in the moment, it's not so much fun, but the, the memories, the experience, the stories, the people definitely makes it. All right. Well, that's, uh, I think that about wraps up that. I vote Leah and the rest of the Neptune team heads over there and does the event, and then we can bring them all on the podcast to talk about it. So well, uh, feel I free to reach this, out to Warax. I've signed up for an event that sounds kind of similar to this in January. So if I survive that, then this is definitely next on my radar. <laughs> All Which right. is that? Is that Green Beret Challenge 12? What did you sign up for? No, the TPK Bad Decisions. Oh, oh yeah, you want a yeah, HB team? Yeah, you, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Don't let me down, I recommended you. I know, I heard. <laughs> this is how I got into all this. <laughs> um, Alright, let's, uh, let's start closing it out because we're at about an hour. So since we have three people on the podcast, let's do uh, tell us one thing people would be surprised to know about you. Uh, I'll start off with whoever's ready. Phil, maybe? Uh, <laughs> I already leaked mine. I'm a beekeeper. <laughs> okay. That's pretty cool. I, 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 I got to beehives. <laughs> Leah, what do you got? I am not afraid of pretty much anything. I will do just about anything there is. Except for my biggest fear and phobia, like truly phobic, are mice. Like, freak out, definitely afraid, can't be in the same room, not cool. But I'll be electrocuted, I'll be iced, I'll do whatever. But if you put me in the same room with, like, a mouse, I'll lose my mind. I'll have to remember that and sneak one into your sleeping bag. (laughs) Well, it's funny because when we were at, as a matter of fact, in King's Domain, when we were at um, World Championships in 20, uh, I guess, 15, we were there and we were getting ready to go to bed. We were in one of the cabins on site and there was, you know, the whole crew of us. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of our eyes, we see this mouse scurry across the windowsill. And I lost my freaking mind didn't sleep at all. It was awful. Everybody was laughing at me, but it was terrible. I would have paid money to see that. It was terrible. They still tease me about it. All right, we'll go with, for me... What you got? The... um... So for work, uh, we do airborne stuff. So since you have to jump out of a plane with a parachute, and it's static line parachuting, so when you jump out, essentially your parachute is attached to a string, and as you fall, it kind of pulls the parachute out. So your parachute opens almost immediately. So you're free falling for like five seconds-ish before your parachute opens. You're jumping from real low, like 1,200-ish feet, um, versus skydiving, which is like much higher, whatever, like free falling for a long time. And I actually don't like it, not because, like, I enjoy jumping out of the plane. I think that's very thrilling, and you get that adrenaline dump. But, you know, the military parachutes are designed to get you to the ground as quickly as possible so you don't get shot while you're in the air. So when you hit, when you get, when you get to the ground, you need to like, it's called parachute landing fall (PLF). So you you kind of hit and then roll so you don't break your legs because you oh. you can't land standing up. Like that's not a possibility in in most conditions. So you have to kind of you hit and roll, and uh, that's the part I don't like about jumping out of planes. It's the 
Like, I'm always afraid I'm going to, like, bust my ankle or something, and then, you know, like, there goes my OCR season or whatever else I was training for. So I don't like jumping out of planes, not because of the jump, but because of the landing, you kind of land like a bag of crap every time. So. <laughs> I'm actually going skydiving for the first time this Sunday, so... Oh, really? But I get to be tied to somebody, so hopefully they'll yeah, take care of that. <laughs> you'll be tied to someone, and you'll free fall for a while, and then when you get to the bottom, they flare the chutes, so you can actually like land standing up. Uh, versus these chutes, they're not as steer they're not as steerable, right? Because typically we're just chucking people out of the plane like as fast as possible, right? Because the idea is to get as many people on the ground as quick as possible, yeah. which is why the plane flies super low, which is why the chutes aren't too steerable because you don't want people steering into each other but you want them a little steerable so you can avoid mid-air collisions type thing. So it's kind of a, a little bit different than civilian parachuting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that's I don't, li- I don't like jumping out of planes because I don't like hitting the ground. It's, yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't for that landing, you know, the fall is great. Yeah. <laughs> if we could land into, like, foam pits, that would be, like, great. Um, but, yeah, I still do it anyway, so it's, it is what it is. Actually, I'm not really jumping right now in the job I currently have, so. A little less exciting and a little less worse for injury, which I'm okay with. Yeah. But I get paid a little bit less, but whatever. Trade off. Yeah. All right. I think that about wraps it up. Uh, before we go, Phil, any final shout-outs you want to give, friends, family, sponsors, etc.? Um, I got to give a shout-out to uh, Nathan and Sam, the fellow strength and speed people. I've been racing with and against them for, for a while, and uh, definitely got to say hey to them and uh, – Hope to see them out on a on a course here soon. Sounds good. And Leah, what do you got? Um, shout out to my crew, Neptune team slash. We are now a new racing team, the Alpha Racing Team. So you'll see us around back in the black and yellow. And then shout out to my sponsors, Sports Kills and um, Pickle Juice Sport are my two main ones now. Um, so yeah. That's about it. Cool. And as we're recording this, I'm down to one set of bleg mitts left, so I'm assuming those are going to be gone any day now. But I do have plenty of copies of Mudrun Guide's Ultra OCR Bible. So I would head over. One, I would listen to uh, Jason Rulo just started releasing the World's Toughest Mudder Cliff Notes podcast on SoundCloud. So you can find that in the World's Toughest Mudder community. You can find it on Jason Rulo's page, or you can head over to my page. I typically share them there. And he's got basically a condensed version of, you know, world's toughest mutter advice broken into 15-minute segments. I think he's doing a really good job. He's released mm-hmm. two episodes as of this recording. So check that out. I'd also, like I said, pick up my book, Mud Run Guide's Ultra OCR Bible. So it's going to have some of the same information that Jason has but explained in a little more depth into a book form. And it allows you to provide an easy reference to go back to as you get ready for your ultra endurance events. Uh, Phil, I look forward to meeting you in person at some point. I know you stayed at my house when I wasn't there, so that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, there is that. <laughs> yeah, so at I'll some point, I'll actually... CTG this summer. Yeah, um, so the next CTG is not until June, so we got a little bit of a ways away. Uh, it's going to be a long wait, just like it was last year, but um, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i leak this. There is rumor of... So they're not, they're not expanding a lot, but I've heard they might be expanding to at least one more city in um, 2019. So I'm just going to leave that there. East it is, the better it is for me. <laughs> I mean, it's still going to be in the Midwest corridor over there, so just a heads up. But you you might have a place to stay. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Okay. <laughs> so, 
All right, Phil, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Leah, thanks again for joining us again. And we will catch up with all of you later. All right. Sounds great. Later.